friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast, ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one, let's go. Well, this is going to be more fun than first year university. Oh, that's really? More fun than a wide open water park at the age of 12? Yeah, that's fun. Where'd you have more fun? First year university? Wide open water park at the age of 12. When you're 12 years old, you don't know how much fun you're going to have in first year university. So, <laughs> right. it's a university about, for me. How about a water park? in first year of university. Mm, didn't do that, but maybe I should have. <laughs> uh, either way, this is going to be fun. Week three, National Football League. Into week nine, the CFL starts tomorrow. NHL preseason underway. Raptors media today. Media day today. And of course, what in the good name of Tom Hankey do we have in store for the final week of the Toronto Blue Jays season? I will tell you, we've got a jam-packed with whole grain goodness that's what we got and no matter what jesse rubinoff and i will be with you for it all that's right kids game day starts right here on tim and friends deep breath today monday night or then boom tomorrow jays and yankees this is tim and friends you are the friends riding shotgun today arden swelling on the jays final week former nfl mvp rich gannon and raptors gm bobby webster that's right kids uh if I suck today, I apologize. Well, if I suck any day, I apologize. But specifically today, I was up at 6 a.m. to head to Raptors Media Day today to be down with Webster, though I will let you be the judge of that. Nice. I will say, being back at Scotia Bank Arena almost felt as odd as seeing this. Kyle Lowry in a Miami Heat uniform. Honestly, it looks pretty good to me. It looks pretty good to you. Look, look I, 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 mean, I, yeah. I accepted, was happy when they didn't trade him at the deadline. He finished out the year with the Raptors, and he looks, he looks happy. He looks kind of trimmed down looks a happy, little bit. He looks healthy. It's a nice jersey. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it looks good. I'm happy for Kyle that he's, he's getting what he, you know, to do what he wants to do. Yeah. And he'll get his flowers when he comes back to Toronto. No South, doubt. oh, without a doubt, South Beach will look good on him. There's a few yeah. golf courses around there, I think. Yeah, a little bit of jealousy. That he might be able in, to play. Yeah. yeah, no, I understand. Making what? millions and living in Miami. You're but, wishing you know. him well. Yes, of course. That's all. Yeah. That's a nice thing to do. Yeah, like what was your gut instinct when you saw that picture? Uh, I'm not gonna lie. It looked like <laughs> looked a little old school, to be yeah. honest with you. Oh, really? Yeah, it looked like it took it back to the old school, mm. uh, and it looked like there was the end of a Raptors era officially stamped with that picture. Yes, that is a great book. I think. I think. Yeah, I think that's why. I mean, we put it out on Instagram, and I don't know what the numbers were, but it was ridiculously high when I first looked at all of the comments mm -hmm. on the page. And I think it's because a lot of Raptor fans felt like that was the end of an era. Definitely. Like that was visual evidence of the end of an era, and they didn't really get the goodbye until a little later on this year. Yeah, February 3rd is when Kyle's going to be coming back. Uh, I asked Bobby Webster about the leadership void left by Lowry, mm -hmm. among other things. Uh, we discussed today that interview coming up within the hour. We'll also get you the latest and greatest from NHL camps. Also coming up within the hour, first things first. In fact, it's now. Here's Biggie, followed by Ruby. It's first things first. Let's go. First things first.
You ready? I don't know. <laughs> this is like a little bit of a big week. I this don't week. know. It's gonna be. I, I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. It is going to be ridiculous to me. Yeah. It all comes down to this week for the Blue Jays. One game out of a playoff spot with six games remaining after they split their four-game series with the Twins and the Yankees. Of course they did. Swept the Red Sox. The Jays Boston. are one game back of Boston for the second wild card and two games back of the Yankees who come to Toronto to open a three-game set at Rogers Center tomorrow in front of 30,000 what should be rabid Blue Jays fans. Tim, how are you feeling heading into the final week? Uh, better if Joe West was good at his job. But before we break all of that down, including what happened at Fenway Park last night, mm -hmm. just understand, Jays fans, I do this to you often. I know sometimes it can be repetitive and maybe even annoying. But enjoy this. It doesn't happen very much. In fact, this is just the third time in Jays history that they enter the final six games within one game of being in or out of the playoffs. Just the fifth time within two and a half games. And all the years, if you talk to Blue Jays fans in those five that we could name, you remember them if you are a fan. So these are the best times. And even 87 at the bottom there, that is the bane of many Jays fans' existence, is remembered to this day because of what transpired over those final six games. So this is, I've been saying it now for two weeks, it's amazing that you've got this race to the wild card the way you have, as my voice gets a little bit hoarse here, but enjoy it as much as you can. And the fact that those games are at home and now we'll have 30,000 people there for, I'm assuming, all six, depending on how it shakes down, enjoy it. But let's be honest, the Yankees sweeping the Red Sox and the remaining games and the schedules for those remaining games that we just saw there. Yeah, not great. It does not, it does not line up well for the Toronto Blue Jays. No. If, if you were to rank schedule, where you are in the standings in these final six, it goes Yankees, Red Sox, and Jays, right? Yeah, no doubt. And going into the weekend, I mean, best case scenario would have been the other way around. Right? It would have been a Red Sox sweep, and then you would have been ahead of the Yankees. And now the complete opposite happened. And the only way that you can control your own destiny is a sweep against a team that looks invincible at the moment. Okay, but hold on with this invincible. Okay, fine. Fine. You want? Okay, fine. Right? Yeah. No, I get it. But they have been one of the, if not the most incons inconsistent teams in Major League Baseball. I mean, just before they went on this six-game winning streak, I think yeah. it's a six-game winning streak, yeah. two sweeps in a row – they lost 11-3 and 11-1 to Cleveland. Like, this is just, this is what they do. They go on runs. They go the other way. Like, don't necessarily think just because they've won six in a row that they're going to rattle off 10 in a row again or 13 in a row or, I don't know, go Cardinals on us and win 16 in a row, which is an amazing story in of itself. I don't know that you can draw any conclusions. You just look at the matchups and say, okay, Jameson Tyon, who has been activated, he will face Hyunjin Ryu after much consternation from Jays fans. Cole versus Barrios and then Kluber versus Ray. The Jays are 21-9 at home this year, at least at real home this year. Mm -hmm. So you got a chance, and that's what all – I mean, a couple months ago, that's a, a couple month ago, three weeks ago, all you were asking for was a chance. And they got a chance here. Yeah, they haven't played the Yankees really, like, technically at home all season, right? Dunedin, 
Buffalo. They played the Yankees. So they're 21 and nine at the Rogers Center. They're playing really good baseball, and as well as the Yankees are playing. Like that doesn't mean that the Blue Jays can't win these games. The Blue Jays are still arguably the hottest team in baseball, one of the hottest teams in baseball, too. We heard what Alec Manoa said after yesterday's game. The Blue Jays, within the clubhouse, believe that they are the best team in baseball. And when a team has that confidence, they're extremely dangerous. Yes, is this week going to have to go really well for the Blue Jays? Of course. But a month ago, you, nobody thought they would be in this position at all. And now you have that opportunity in front of you. And they're playing, they're playing well. Look, the offense is, seems to be turning a little bit of a corner. Those last two games against the Twins are scoring enough to win. And you have some pretty good pitchers lined up, uh, aside from what, not knowing exactly what you're going to get tomorrow night from Hinjin Ryu. And that's the big question mark for me. I know we discussed last week about Mats or Ryu. It ends up being Ryu. But he has pitched pretty well against the Yankees this season. So, I mean, I told, you guys, what, I told you guys what we thought. Uh, what I had heard and what we thought was going to happen is that Jinjin Ryu had been banged up a little bit. He got a little more rest, and they tinkered with something. So hopefully whatever they tinkered with is Barrios-like, and he's able to bounce back. Um, I'm cheering for chaos here, and there is an opportunity for absolute chaos. If the Jays go 2-1 and one versus the Yankees and sweep the O's, and then the Yankees go two and one against the Rays, and the Red Sox go four and two against the O's and Nationals. You could have a three-way tie for one spot or two spots. Excuse me. If the M's went six and zero, oh, that could be a four-way spot. And there's a highly unlikely way the A's get into this. But if the M's go six and zero, oh, they've already swept the A's. My brain is broken. They could do it again. We could have a three-way tie for the two spots, and then start your tiebreakers, kids, because it's going to be fun. What are the chances after a 162-game baseball schedule that you could potentially be in a situation where there is a four-team tiebreak? I'm going to say it's unlikely. Like you play I don't have the official numbers in front of me, but I'm going to say it's unlikely. It seems like you play 162 games for this to avoid, reason. To avoid this for very this thing. What the rest, what's the rest of the 162 games for if you're going to have a four-way tiebreak at the end? Stats. Stats, right. right. Like stats like John Carlos Stanton hitting three home runs, 10 RBIs against the Red Sox, and becoming the only or the last Yankee to do that against the Red Sox was, uh, I don't know, like Lou Gehrig, Babe Ruth, like those kind of players. It was, yeah, it was a long time ago. Uh, I had the number somewhere in front of me, but I've lost it. It's, it's a long time. Yeah. Mickey um, Mantle, first, Actually, he's the first Yankee ever with 10 RBI in a three-game series in Fenway. So none of those guys actually did it, if you want to go with that. Three homers, 10 RBIs uh, in any three-game span against the Red Sox. Mickey Mantle, Lou Gehrig, Babe Ruth. That's it. That's the list. Do you, uh, do you want to rip Joe West or we just let him move on with his life? Well, no, I think we should rip him because this is the second time. I know, obviously, the, he's not thinking about the Blue Jays in this spot. But this is the second time in a week where Joe West has essentially screwed the Blue Jays a little bit here. And it, the umpiring in this league is becoming an issue. Why, why are people talking about the umpiring all the time now? Like, this should not happen. Yeah, as why far is as I'm Joe, concerned. I mean, isn't Joe West like 74? Yeah, country Joe West. Guy was like rolling, well, he was running around with like Merle Haggard back in the day. <laughs> like, <laughs> this guy, why are these guys still umping? Like, I, I, so you look at this situation, like this is a massive, a massive play in the game was the, the non-transfer call. He's 68 years old. He looks like he's 74. But what is he still doing in the league if he's not good enough? Like I don't know. I mean, I, I, I should 
scour through the scouting reports to see if he is good enough. He just looks like a guy that's not good enough anymore. And that was obviously transfer, and obviously you can't... Like, when it's common sense, why can't you just go to the review? I don't know. And I also don't know why baseball can't just be like... Like, the head office can't just be... Why don't they have a buzzer? Be like, hey, guys... You screwed up. That that was wrong. Like, blatantly wrong. Like, let's get it right. Because ultimately, when you introduced replay to begin with and challenges and all this stuff, it was in an effort to get things right. So if you're just going to, I guess it was non-challengeable Cause, or cause non-reviewable. Because you slow down the game way too much. That's why. And it's I know when I said it, it is already super slow. But if you start adding things to the things that you are reviewing, it, it slows it down even more. Um, what's more intriguing to you? Yeah. Otani clinching the MVP or the Montreal X-rays? I mean, the Montreal story is is definitely more intriguing because... So the Rays say they're going to hang a banner at Tropicana Field that has Montreal in it in some way, shape, or form. Right. Is this still just negotiating for a new stadium there, or is this going to happen? I feel like the table is being set for the Expos, or I guess Ray... The X-Rays. The X-Rays. This is hilarious, by the way. Uh, to come back in some capacity. I don't know if that means splitting home games. I, I'm not sure if I'm a free agent. I would want to sign into a situation like that where you're playing in two different cities. The Blue Jays just experienced it. They didn't like it. And the Raptors did, certainly didn't like playing away from home last year. That's why uh, I don't last think year. that you're going to have this. But I will say this. If players get to know Montreal... They'll like Montreal. Yes. Completely <laughs> agree. Montreal is a fun town. Yeah, Montreal is a pretty good town. I don't know if they'll want to get to know Montreal, but if you could spend the cold days in Tampa and the hot days in Montreal, and I mean that in more ways than one, if you know what I'm talking about, Jesse, then I think a lot of players would. Love it. Agreed. Uh, Arden's Welling coming up in about 15 minutes' time to talk more Blue Jays. Uh, should be a wild week in the majors, and it seems like... Every week is like that in the National Football League. More craziness on Sunday. We saw the longest field goal in NFL history, the longest kick return in NFL history. And for the first time ever, Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes lost on the same day as the Bucs lost to the Rams and the Chiefs lost to the Chargers. Which L.A. team made a bigger statement on Sunday, the Rams or the Chargers? You asked me team? Because I thought Matt Stafford made a real big statement. But if you're asking me team, I'm going to say the Chargers. Mm -hmm. And here's why I'm going to say the Chargers. They showed me a ton of guts. And remember back in week one, I told you about how they had a four-point lead in week one. And they let Justin Herbert chuck the ball around. And the reason why was because I wanted to plant a seed in everyone's mind about the trust that they had in Justin Herbert. And lo and behold, in this game, like, I don't know if this is the Sam Cassells. Do you you know what the Sam Cassells are? Do you know? Yeah, the Sally, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, these are... Brandon Staley has the ultimate, yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the Sam Cassells. Brandon (laughs) Staley has the ultimate, maybe too much confidence in Justin Herbert, but I love the way they're playing, and Mm -hmm. I think that this this is the new age. Until it backfires on them and smacks them in the face, and then everyone second guesses it, it's going to be fun. But I think that this is the new wave, the new age, and he ultimately trusts 
a rookie quarterback to do some things that I don't even know if he should have trusted him yeah. to do. The fourth and nine after the penalty, game tied, 48 seconds left. And then the audible on first and goal to throw the game-winning touchdown with 32 seconds left and give the ball back. Like, all of these things are things that you don't often see, but I'm here for it. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. I love the guts, and it's those kind of things that can take teams to the next level. And this Chargers team, I guarantee you, absolutely love that their head coach is doing this. The Chargers, we get to watch the Chargers around 4 o'clock every day, and it seems like when you get close to 7, in years past, they would always find a way to lose close games. Under Phillip, yeah. Always, right? Phillip quarterbacking Anthony Lynn in recent years. And yesterday, going up against a Chiefs team, the Chargers in years past would have lost that game. They just would have. That would have been the case. Yep. But now they have a young quarterback that is doing things as a sophomore, which is exactly what he did as a rookie. And when you look at what the rookies did yesterday, yeah, he finished. And when you look at what the rookies did yesterday, it helps put into perspective just how good and special Justin Herbert might be for this Chargers team. So, yeah, I was definitely impressed as well with the Chargers beating the Chiefs. And, and the Chiefs don't, just don't lose back-to-back -back games. It's shocking. They're 1-11-1 against the spread in their last 13 games, which is just a, a shocking number. Against um, the spread. Against the spread, yes. But they, they haven't lost back-to-back -back games outright. Yeah. Like, forget the, forget the money for a flash since October 2019. And I yeah. know we popped up the rookie quarterbacks um, and what they did yesterday. And I know you were talking about the rookie quarterbacks and what they did yesterday. Um, do I have to separate my shoulder patting myself on the back by saying it's not bad for young quarterbacks, especially rookie quarterbacks, to carry a clipboard for a little while? No, yeah, like, sure, go ahead. Is oh, your shoulder going to be okay if you do it? I, like, I mean, <laughs> listen, I thought Matt Nagy absolutely let down Justin Fields. I thought their game plan was terrible. I thought Nate Burleson set us up for this perfectly. He was sacked nine times. Like, this was as ugly as ugly could be in – they didn't get him to spots. It was like straight. It was almost as if they were play calling for Andy Dalton. This, to me, will cost Matt Nagy his job. But you look around football, and, I mean, those rookie quarterbacks were just 0 for 4. Uh, Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones. They had two touchdowns, seven interceptions. Their four teams combined to score 38 points. Like, it just they're not good enough yet and you need to put them in the position to succeed. And I don't know that any other one of their coaches or coordinators did that yesterday. How much of that has to do with, with the offensive line situations? Because you look at the four rookies who struggled yesterday, all four offensive lines are bad. I think the Bears probably is, is the, the worst situation. Bears were a playoff team last year. Yeah. So it's play calling, primarily. I just, I, yes, and that's why you don't just draft the quarterback, in my mind. Like Patrick Mahomes, when he went in, didn't go into a crap team. Mm -hmm. And I know that, generally speaking, when you draft high, you're a crap team. And Jacksonville and the Jets are crap teams. But I will say this. Uh, Lawrence is the third first overall pick to throw two-plus interceptions in each of his first three starts. You know who the other two guys are? Enlighten me. Troy Aikman and Peyton Manning. Interesting. Both Hall of Famers. Interesting. And... Aikman went 0-11 as a rookie. Peyton went 3-13. Think of the pressure these days that would have been on everyone around that team yeah. as opposed to just letting them groom 
as they were bad. Yeah. And I wonder if there's a difference now. Yeah, you just have to hope that the confidence doesn't get shot as they continue to pile up losses for these rookies, right? Yeah, well, and the Jets will just move on to another quarterback in two more years. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Rich Gannon coming up later in the show to talk more NFL football. Training camps opening across the NBA this week, and today it was media day. The Raptors back in Toronto for the first time in more than 18 months, as Timmy mentioned. He was there last season. The Raps missed the playoffs for the first time since 2013, and most experts are predicting that they'll be a lottery team once again this season as they begin life without Kyle Lowry, who we saw in that Heat jersey. But Fred Van Vliet says his goals haven't changed. The goal is to win the championship every year, and I'm certainly not going to lower my standards. I don't care who's on the team. Um, and that's what we're going to push for. Now, will you have to have more patience? Yes. Will you have to manage your expectations? Probably. But at the same time, the goal is going to be to win. And that's set from the top down. You know, this is not a franchise that's accustomed to, you know, having the type of year that we had last year. But uh, I think that, you know, we're on the track to get right back where we need to be. You know, there is a core that has won. There's a core that's been in the league, you know, a decent amount of time. Um, and so it'll just be fitting the pieces around those players. Um, so, yeah, we expect to compete every night, and, and I think we'll, we'll surprise a few people too. What are your expectations for the Raptors moving into this year? <laughs> That's a wonderful question. Loaded um, a little bit. <laughs> I will say this. Vegas has them as dogs to make the playoffs. Yeah. Like significant dogs, like over 200 in most places. Like plus 280 is what we got it at right now. And to me, that's some value. I know there are teams that are supposed to be better, but the Raptors constantly overachieve. And what I expect from them is to be uh, what all of those guys, like talking points were all pretty similar. They're going to work their ass off. Mm -hmm. And in the NBA, when you work your ass off and play defense, that'll usually get you some wins. Like if you consistently show effort, the only, the only question that I have, if you consistently show effort and play defense, you'll win games. Right. The only question I have is who's going to score on this team? And can Gary Trent Jr., who we saw with some flashes of real scoring ability, do enough defensively that he's on the court for long stretches of time? If, if he defends the way this team insists that most people defend, I think this team will be okay. And... There's a lot of pressure on Pascal Siakam, a ton of pressure. To be the man, you've got to beat the man. And he just wanted to be the man. Now play like the man. Yeah. And I know he's coming back from surgery, and he won't be back right away. And then when he does come back, there'll be a lot of eyes in him, depending on how the start goes. There's a ton of pressure on him. And I think, I think he might have learned the lesson from last year. It was a tough year. It was covid all, he had the injury that required mm -hmm. surgery in the end. I think he may have learned the lesson that is you've got to continue to work to be at that level. And uh, if he did, I think the Raptors will make the playoffs. Yeah. However it shakes down, they're going to be so much fun to watch. Just based on the athleticism on this roster, they were a top five defensive rated eh. team two years ago. Eh, it's a fun to watch. Like you got to win to be fun to watch. But like, they're I don't gonna know if you were around when we were when we were watching <laughs> crappy Raptor team after crappy Raptor team. But the, the, what the fans in this city adore is hard work, hard work, yeah. and hustle. Correct. And you have a lot of guys on I'll this roster that, that are yeah. going to hustle and, and 
Scotty Barnes, one of the latest additions, obviously, is going to be numero uno when it comes to, to hustling his butt off. So it's going to be you fun don't to think, watch uh, You don't think, I mean, we're running out of time, you don't think Scotty Barnes is going to be held to the Jalen Suggs his entire rookie year? I think if he does really well right off the hop, I think a lot of people are going to forget about it quickly. If he struggles, then those are going to follow him around for quite some time. In my yeah, I just don't know how refined a player he is mm-hmm. yet. And just as we were talking about those quarterbacks, I think Scotty Barnes has got a little Justin Fields. He's got a little, you know it's there. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to refine it a little bit. And I wonder if the patience will be there for Scotty Barnes. All right, time for a break. Still to come, Rich Gannon with his thoughts on what was a wonderful week three in the National Football League. And it's not done. Raptors GM Bobby Webster joins me one-on-one at Media Day from earlier today. And up next is the calm before the storm. The final week of the Major League Baseball regular season gets underway. Arden Swelling stops by to discuss what the Jays need to do to get in. Tim and friends on a Monday. Let's go! George Springer with a home run for the second consecutive game. He catches it there, and it comes out of his glove on the transfer. And Judge cashes in, taking advantage of the second and third chances. The Yankees go back on top. Oh, my goodness. That just happened. Talked to Fred the other day, and he's like, "Listen, like I want to win every single game." So I think that's like, you know, who we are, and that's what we develop. Game's getting bigger by the day. The Blue Jays in Minneapolis to open up a four-game series. The Twins are giving them everything that they can handle. The Twins beat the Blue Jays again. The Blue Jays now have to turn things around and do it very, very quickly. The New York Yankees have come in and gotten real loud here at Fenway Park. That ball is gone. A three-run home run. He's a dangerous man. Bases loaded. The pitch to stand. Shot by Stanton. He put it into orbit. And the Yankees have taken the first two against the Red Sox. The Blue Jays have to get back to their winning ways and fast. Well hit. And how about that? George Springer. Maybe that'll break him out of it. Big sigh of relief. George Springer with a home run for the second consecutive game. George Springer is back. When they take the field Tuesday, there'll be a game out of a playoff spot. Behind whom? They don't know yet. Got him. He catches it there, and it comes out of his glove on the transfer. You can't review that play. Aaron Judge doing his best impersonation of a cat with nine lives. And Judge cashes in, taking advantage of the second and third chances. The Yankees go back on top. Stanton and Hobart again. Santa Maria. <laughs> the Yankees have swept a three-game series at Fenway. They assume the outright lead. Almost as good as the NFL weekend, that was. Uh, in the end, the AL wildcard race enters the final week looking like this. Yankees now holding the first wildcard after that sweep of the Red Sox. They get Toronto and Tampa, though the Rays will have nothing to play for. Boston game back of the Yankees game up on the Jays have the best schedule. They get the O's and the Nats. The Jays, I mean, figureitout.com, five 
probably to get in as they start the series with the Yanks tomorrow. And Seattle still alive. Two back of the Red Sox. They are in action against Oakland tonight. Three game series. Three back. They need to win out and probably get some help. Here to help me sort through all of this nonsense is uh, one of the co-hosts of the At The Letters podcast. Arden Zwelling joins me now. Arden, shoot me straight. I know you do. You are a straight shooter. You are never one to shy from an opinion. What are we looking at here over this last week for Jays fans? This is it. We are looking at the what you wait for, right? Through an entire MLB season. I'm fired up. I know you're fired up. The last three weeks have been great, but this week is the culmination of that. It's essentially the playoffs. The playoffs are starting now. This three-game set with the Yankees is a playoff series. It is a little three-game set where the Blue Jays need to, at the very least, win two out of three. Preferably, you sweep it. That would make life a lot easier, but if you drop two of these games to the Yankees, it's going to be next to impossible to get I, into the uh, to the postseason. So it's a, it's a playoff series. I don't know if I've enjoyed all of the reaction to the last, like, three weeks, including this one. Like it to me, it's almost been three weeks of playoffs, maybe even four weeks of playoffs. Like every game seems to matter. All the scoreboard watching, like Jay's fans flipping out about the transfer and Joe West. Like this is this is I mean, when I was young it was a pennant race, but whatever race it is, this is when baseball is at its best. This is what you wait for. Yeah. This is what we do it for. And I know not everybody is watching all nine innings as i am in may in june in july but we can pretend that they are and that everybody has been through this five and a half i mean six seven eight months if you include spring training slog baseball like a baseball season like life is an interminable slog (laughs) through which you just take repeated kicks to the testes forever (laughs) until you reach the end and it gets good and at the end hopefully something good comes out of it and we're here this is it so there's no talking about like marcus simeon's free agency what a robbie ray contract might look like should they extend teoscar hernandez forget all of that it's just these games and these results and these outcomes this is the fun this is it we're here we need to sit in it and enjoy it so this is the fun in between the kicks to the testes exactly (laughs) how do you like hinjin ryu as the starter for the jays tomorrow there was much consternation on who it would be uh, officially now ryu I don't hate it as much as everyone else seems to. Um, and I don't know if that's just the contrarian in me because everyone seems to be so down on Hunjin Ryu right now. Like, I kind of feel like we need to establish an agree, you know, an agreed statement of facts here as if this were law because recency bias can be a hell of a thing. Um, and it can shroud what Hunjin Ryu's meant to this team and what he's done for this team. Over 41 career starts with the Toronto Blue Jays. Hunjin Ryu has a 3.85 ERA. That's not easy. That is nothing to sneeze at. That is like Lucas Giolito levels over the last couple of years. That is top 25 arm across MLB since the beginning of 2020. Has he been inconsistent lately? Yes. A little spotty. Command's been a little unreliable. I understand that. But the Blue Jays believe it's workload related. They believe that there's a little mechanical tweak that he can make and that with a little bit of time off, he can get back to being that Hunjin Ryu that we've all seen before. And oh, by the way, we saw him through. Three weeks ago, goes six shutout against the New York Yankees, allowing only three singles, not a single walk in that in that start. You could see that again very well 
on Tuesday night and a lot of people might have to go and pour some cold water all over the takes that they've been uh, throwing around. <laughs> we'll see. Or he'll, he won't have it and it'll be very evident early in the game and the Blue Jays will go to their contingency plans, which they will have behind Hunjin Ryu. I see no outcome here where Hunjin Ryu is like disastrous, gives up eight runs. I think if he goes out and he doesn't have his command or the Velo isn't there, the Blue Jays don't like what they're seeing from the live pitch data, they're going to get him out of there. It's just as likely that he goes out and looks like himself. All right, I want to get into some of the hot, hot takes, but this sounds like it was the plan from the start. Like when Hyunjin Ryu went on the IL, it was give him a little bit more rest, some wear and tear, and then make a tiny mechanical adjustment. Is that fair to say? I mean, we were talking about this on Friday on the show, and there was still that Mats or Ryu who's going to go there, but this was, seems like it was the plan the entire way. As long as Hunjin Ryu is able to answer the bell, and right. as long as whatever the neck issue he was going through was, was fine, and whatever other bumps and bruises that he you know, has pitched through his entire career, that's been a hallmark of his career. He's been a guy who's dealt with little nagging um, physical ailments and pitched through them and had to take some time off between starts to get over them. He hasn't thrown bullpens. I mean, this has been this guy's career. So as long as he was able to answer the bell, it was always going to be him. There was a juncture a couple of weeks ago where the Blue Jays had an off day, and they took that opportunity to sort of rejig their rotation and reshuffle things. And the main idea was to get Jose Barrios and Robbie Ray into this Yankees series, which they are in, and also mm-hmm. to line those guys up for Barrios potentially in a one game, a game 163 tiebreaker and Robbie Ray in the wildcard game. But a, a side um, impact of that was getting Hunjin Ryu into this Yankees series as well. I think the Blue Jays like the matchup. The, uh, the one thing that scares me is Ryu big game pitching. And I'll reserve that until I see him go out there. But you mentioned the hot takes and pouring some cold water on the hot takes. Is that what we did with George Springer over the, la- the, the later part of this weekend? That's what George Springer did yeah. with a couple of bombs, kind of reminding everyone, uh, hey, I'm the guy who has multiple 900 OPS seasons. I'm the guy who carried this lineup on his back over like four weeks earlier this year when you know George Springer first came back from injury. Like it's important to remember, he's always been a streaky player. Um, you can go back to 2018 and the month of June when George Springer had like a 650 OPS that month and he was playing every day. You can go to 2017 when the Astros were cheating, when George Springer literally knew the pitches that were coming and he had a 600 OPS uh, in the month of August in 2017. Like these things happen with him. He goes into these valleys, but the peaks coming out of them are typically super, super high because he is a guy with the ability to carry a lineup. So it has looked for a while like he is coming out of this thing. The exit velocity has been there. He's been hitting balls hard. Obviously, we saw the the power over the last couple of games with the home runs. We just have to hope that this is it and that that hot streak is coming and that that torrid stretch is going to um, just hit as the New York Yankees come to town that George Springer can do what he does and, and carry a lineup. It's funny. I, I, I'll almost uh, I'll listen to the people shuffle him down in the lineup. The people who are saying sit him, did they not see the board that we just put up there, 44 and 28 with him in the lineup, like in two games over 500 without him? Like he, even, even with all of the struggles or the ups and downs or whatever you want to call it, you're still better with this guy in the lineup. Well, what's your alternative? Yeah, draw Dyson, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, yeah. What are you? Are you calling up Gregory Polanco from AAA? <laughs> right. Like, what are you doing? Like, George right. Springer is your guy at this point in the season, too, Tim. You know this. You're gonna ride or die. 
with your players and with your studs, like with your franchise guys. And George Springer is one of those. So there was never a situation where the Blue Jays were going to sit him for an extended period of time. Maybe they could have entertained dropping him in the batting order. Maybe. Maybe. I don't even really think that does all that much. All that does is just, you know, give him that certainly but i mean for you know in in terms of like wins and losses i mean maybe it gives you a few fewer george springer plate appearances i don't know i'd much rather have george springer up there just because he still is seeing a lot of pitches in his plate appearances he's still having an impact on the the opposing pitcher even if he isn't making the contact that he wants to yeah jesse and i were having the conversation on friday what do you do you walk into the office hey george can you come in here for a second i know we paid you uh (laughs) over you know i i know that you are one of the best players in the league but can you do us a favor in in the most key time of the season when you've gutted through this knee can you just sit down for a little while like what do you think the human being sitting across from you says when they hear that like there is a definite like you lose the room if you do stupid stuff like that oh absolutely and even just moving them down in the batting order if you go from first to say sixth i mean each spot you know you might like gain hot like lose half a plate appearance a game maybe so if we're talking six to nine games here which was all we were talking about with being left in the season is your difference between winning and losing four and a half fewer george springer plate appearances or the rest of the season that seems very marginal and insignificant and not worth pursuing you might as well leave at the top of the order and let him come out of it and look at this it looks like he is Right. Uh, All right. Last one here. And and the guy that would have had to have that conversation with him was Charlie Montoyo. And Charlie has had his haters from jump and he has had people who have been kind of lurking in the weeds waiting for all of the decisions that he makes here. Do, Do you believe that Charlie Montoyo is in any danger of losing his job, depending on how this week ends up ends up for the Toronto Blue Jays? No. No, not at all. I think his team might win 90 games playing in three different homes. Like, I think that his team that, by the way, lost over 90 games a couple of years ago has come out of a rebuild and is looking like one of the scariest teams in the American League. This is a team that you can continue adding to this offseason. Um, I know we said we wouldn't talk about this, but obviously you're going to have to do something to replace the production of Roddy Ray and, and Marcus Simeon if those guys leave. This team should keep getting better and it is on the upswing. And I haven't seen anything to suggest that the manager is holding this team back. I mean, it's kind of like, it's funny, like we we vote for these manager of the year awards, mm-hmm. right? And we're so, you know, unqualified to determine who the best manager even is, right? Like, what do we yeah. assess managers on? Yeah. How do you use your bullpen? And then how convincingly do you sort of defend your decision-making in, in post-game scrums? Well, that's like 5% of a manager's job, right. right? We don't see 95% of what a manager does. So as all, all I can do is kind of talk to people around the team and, and kind of get a sense of things. And I have seen nothing to suggest that the Blue Jays are considering a change in, in the manager seat. You know, it's funny. I was sitting here yesterday and I was last week and I was saying similar things. You think it's 95% like just going and managing human beings as you have three different homes, keeping people upbeat and positive when they go through slumps like Bo and Vladdy went through in that month of August to find yourself still in the spot. Like those are things that I don't think nearly enough people take into account. But I was like, I was like 70, 75. Like, you think it's that high or were you exaggerating to make your point at 95? Um, maybe a little exaggeration. Okay. I hadn't boiled down. The, you know, I haven't <laughs> yeah. done the formulas. I haven't run the equations. You haven't done the but... war yet? 
it's a exactly yeah. it's a substantial amount yeah. right it's the majority of what a manager does we right. do not see and we do not know about and the other thing is when you look at decisions that maybe even tactically stick out to you and you kind of go hmm like that's a strange one i promise you there's a good reason for it like and we know these decisions also aren't just made by one person no. like this is a very you know collective thing you are right. You are, um, you know, talking to various people. You are assessing various amounts of information. We also don't know everything. Like yeah. we don't know who's banged up. We don't know what matchups they like and don't like. We don't have us. We don't have all the information. So it's very hard for us. I'm not saying you can't ever criticize a manager. Of course you can. You yeah, can. Course, yeah. I don't like it when Bravik Valera is bunting with two strikes. I don't think that that should be <laughs> against the hundred. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't love it when Reese McGuire is in a late game spot in the yeah. eighth inning and Alejandro Kirk's on the bench and could have pinched hit with Danny Jansen also on the bench to come in and play defense after him. Like. I don't love that, um, but I, I just think that the vast majority of what a manager does, we don't see. And for teams, they want their manager to get the best out of their players. They want their manager to have their players performing the best, being put in situations yes. where they are able to succeed. Yeah. And it's hard to look at this season from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in the context of his previous two. It's hard to look at Bro Bichette taking another step. It's hard to look at Marcus yeah. Simeon coming into yeah. a foreign situation having his his i know you're trying to get out of here having his season <laughs> robbie ray maybe and winning you know. a cy young <laughs> alec manoa showing up in the big leagues and being this guy it's hard to look at all that and say charlie montoya was at fault for or doing a bad job here with these guys i should have just put up the tone yeah. we're out of time i saw the red light at the back of the comedy club is <laughs> reflecting off my head thanks buddy yeah. appreciate it Take it easy. All right, there is Arden Zwelling at the Letters Podcast. Time for a quick break. When we come back, we'll get you caught up to date on the big stories from the National Hockey League preseason and a scary sight for Oilers fans today. But as Gene Principe tweeted, Connor McDavid is fine. He's fine. Don't worry. It's fine. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Uh, Rubinoff, you said you got tweets. Yeah, What's okay. So um, Arden was on talking about the Blue Jays, and obviously the topic of Charlie Montoyo came up, and that mm. has precipitated a response from the Twitter handle anybody but Montoyo, at but Montoyo, has written in and said, Tim and Friends doing their typical Defend Charlie segment. How about we go over the 15-plus games where he made horrible decisions leading to losses, those losses add up and have the Blue Jays in a position where they have to run the table. Quit absolving the guy of all blame. I, I think in the middle of that, we did say we're not absolving him of all blame. Can you, though, uh, anybody but Montoyo, provide the 15 games and the decisions? I'll go through them uh, with a fine-tooth comb because I've got a lot of fine-tooth combs. And we will figure out whether or not he actually cost the team 15 games with his decisions. I also think it's worth just looking at the profile picture, too. Uh, yeah. Everything is fine. <laughs> Everything is fine. Surrounded by the just, this is fine meme. Yeah, I like, think he picked up the conversation halfway through. And it's funny because I say to you all the time, it's amazing how far people will go to defend a position that they have taken. And you wonder what anybody but Montoyo believes. <laughs> I mean, like, so it's pretty obvious. But I, I, this is my point. Like, yes, there have been mistakes. But in order to get what you've gotten from this team over the last two years, and given the circumstances and the age of this team, mm -hmm. I think he's done a fine enough job. And when you're ready to take that next step, it might not be him. But give him his due. He's done enough to help this team along here. 
All right, uh, we said we were going to give you what you need to know from NHL training camp, so that's exactly what we're going to do. Starting with some news from today, and this wasn't what Oilers fans wanted to see today. Connor McDavid down on the ice in some pain, reportedly after getting hit by a puck. Exhale, Oilers fans. Uh, Flames fans, yeah, it sucks for you. Uh, he <laughs> skated it off uh, and looked like he was good to go. Sticking with Edmonton, though, Xavier... Bogo, uh, or Burgo, excuse me, has been turning heads in training camp. The first pick, or first round pick in 2021, had a goal and assist in Sunday's game against Calgary, and uh, looks like he might be able to contribute. I don't know how quickly, it looks like he'll be able to contribute. Meanwhile, John Tavares returned to the ice, first time since the scary injury against Montreal by playing Montreal, started the game and got on the score sheet. Great news for Toronto in a 4-1 win. The Habs side of things after being pulled from warm-ups on Sunday for precautionary reasons in an inter-squad game, Cole Caulfield is expected to miss about a week with an upper body injury. Head coach Dominic Ducharme said it's quote nothing major. Add Ridley Gregg to the list of young senators to keep an eye on. 2020 first rounder scored an absolutely wonderful goal against the Jets. Short side, top shelf on the backhand. He was making headlines for other reasons, too, as he cross-checked mm. Pierre-Luc Dubois in the face. Mm. Dubois needed 15 stitches. Greg will have a hearing with the league today after the penalty was upgraded. Looks like he was uh, suspended one game. Uh, that's what we've gotten down in the last little while. Uh, we got to see the Seattle Kraken finally hit the ice last night. They faced the Canucks in their first preseason action. Spokane, Washington, Ryland Sheehan. I don't know if we count the first preseason goal as the trivia, but if you were looking for the in-depth trivia, that's the answer to the in-depth trivia of the first goal in franchise history. It goes to Riley Sheehan. Yeah, I think you're right. I think when you're asking the trivia questions, it's going to be the regular season goal. But I'm sure it was still pretty cool for Riley Sheehan to score that goal for the Seattle Kraken. Wow, they're in the league. Whoa, that they happened quick. They're in the league, without <laughs> a doubt. Uh, when, I, when we come back, or when I come back. When we both come back. <laughs> when any of us come back. That was you again. You know, it Tim and Friends, again. it includes many people. Right. When I come back, I'll talk to Bobby Webster. Right. Tim and Friends, time for Tim and Friends. Now, time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Thank you very much. Sheepdog's back here. Hour number two, Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360. Full show everywhere today as the Jays have the night off. Therefore, no Blue Jays Central before starting their final week against the Yankees. Tomorrow, they'll close with the Orioles. We have a ton of pregame coverage on tomorrow's show and all week long. That's right, kids. Game day starts right here. On Tim and Friends. Only the Mariners and A's in action tonight in the AL wildcard chase. They face each other. Three game series starting today. Meantime, Raptors Media Day at Scotiabank Arena. Earlier today, that's right, Bobby Webster, Nick Nurse, and all the big name Raptors met with the media in person back in Toronto for the first time since early 2020. And for Fred Van Vliet, Nick Nurse, there really is no place like home. It feels really good. I mean, I don't really know what to say other than way more comfortable 
And I don't think um, while we were going through all that last year, it felt that uncomfortable. But now, when I'm here, now that we're back and looking back, it, it, it does seem a lot, you know, just, it's just, I don't know, just great to, that's the first time I've walked into my office downstairs and I don't know, February of 2020, right? I didn't realize how much I enjoyed living here until I came back. You know, like I knew I missed the city, but you don't really know why until you come back. And it's just, you know, it's a beautiful place to be. Me and my family are just, you know, really happy to be back. Um, but also there's this anticipation of what these games will be like, you know, getting these fans back in the arena and being back where we belong. So the Raptors will be on their home court when the season starts, but Vegas doesn't think that it'll help them make the playoffs. They're listed at plus 280 just to make the playoffs with only the Wizards, Pistons, Cavs, and Magic at longer odds. This, one of the things I talked about when I sat down with Bobby Webster, GM of the Raptors, earlier today. We're joined now by Raptors GM Bobby Webster. Bobby, thank you for doing this. Uh, thanks for coming. You came to our place this time. So. Yeah, yeah, I came to you instead of the Zoom calls. Uh, I know media day isn't exactly uh, fun for you guys, but is it nice to be home? It's really nice to be home, you know, just telling you, it's walking the streets, um, you know, having things open, things in the park. I mean, I have two kids, so we're, we're fully back into Toronto lifestyle, so it's fun. Nice. Is it, do you notice any difference about just the team's mentality and everyone being back in their place? Like it, would have to be some sort of comfort. I always related to like my kids, like they feel settled. So like I'm sure everyone else feels settled, you know, it's, especially some of the new guys who haven't been here. Uh, I think we all wanted them to experience the city, whether it's Gary or Scotty, um, just to feel the energy that I think we all know is so cool about Toronto. Um, but to have them actually live it here is really important for us. Listen, we understand that public health is paramount and that the starting point is always everyone's health and safety first. Um, and playing a sport is a privilege. but. How tough was it to play last year in Tampa and have what all the circumstances that went on? Listen, I think relatively speaking, it wasn't that tough, but I, I hear the point, which is, you know, when we came back um, and where we're here now, it's like, listen, it's been a year and a half since we've actually, you know, really lived in Toronto in a kind of, you know, quote unquote normal way. Um, so I think really like I'm putting it behind us. It's like, how do we focus positively on being back in Toronto and moving forward? Um, it was a tough year, but you know, let's, let's move on. So when folks are like, and the only reason I ask about it is when folks are handicapping the team, they're trying to figure out, okay, so what was last year? Like, can you guys get a good grasp of what last year was? You know, welcome to our world. But I think, listen, we've all had a, a, a difficult season of, or a difficult, you know, year of assessing, you know, your own selves and how well you've done. So um, I think we took the positives out of the year. I think we saw some growth from, from OG, from Fred, from Chris Boucher. Um, I think we're fully expecting Pascal to be back to you know what, what we know him to be. Um, and then some of the young guys, I'm not sure they're going to remember it. So I think you know for them it's you know short memory um, and, and move forward. But no, you know you obviously want to take the positives out of the year, and I think we did see a few of those last year. Did you guys, uh, as a team or as a league, ask for the national interest exemption from the government? when it comes to traveling across the border? Yes, so um, we, have the, we have the NIE. Uh, so the exemption is to cross back and forth. Um, obviously we have to test, we have to follow you know, certain protocols, uh, but I think it's more for the visiting team, similar to the Blue Jays, 
where the teams can come across. If you're unvaccinated, you have a you know stringent set of protocols. Can't leave your hotel. Can't leave the arena. Uh, test every day. Masks. Um, so listen, public health, the NBA. I think everybody felt comfortable from a, from kind of health and safety um, that it was okay. So how does that affect your team? Are you close to being fully vaxxed? Uh, yeah. Sorry, I just uh, said. So we are. Um, very, very close. On opening night, we expect to be 100%, and we are currently just one second dose away. It's from my understanding the NHL declined this national interest exemption. Was there any thought of that from the NBA to not go that route? No, we were. I think you know, living through the bubble, and I, I you know, I, I want to say the NBA has been at the forefront of a lot of the the testing and um, vaccine education, as as we've all seen. Um, so no, we wanted to push that because we felt like it was really important for. Um, you know, for Toronto so that we're playing, you know, in front of full teams, but also for the NBA to feel like, hey, like they're, you know, they're stepping up, they're holding the players uh, to a really high standard. Um, so, no, we, we applied for it fully expecting that uh, there would be some, um, you know, scrutiny on it, but we wanted to pass that. Okay. So from what you're telling me, you expect what is in 2021 almost a normal year. <laughs> when it comes to players no, coming no, in no, considering times, yes. Yeah. Players will come back and forth. They'll, they'll be subject to those protocols, but you'll get to see you know, all, all your favorite road, player, road team players play. Understood. Uh, what are the expectations around this year? Because it's difficult coming off of what we were talking about last year and the change that's going on this year. Listen, every week we come to training camp, you know, we're going to have our team meeting tonight. We're going to preach competitiveness, winning, holding yourself accountable, being a pro, and that'll be no different. Um, I think... You know, maybe we're all we've all been a bit, um, uh, uh, you know, lucky to go into seasons, you know, with different expectations. But I think it'll be fun. I think the journey of watching this team grow, win some games they're not supposed to win, probably lose some games they're not supposed to to lose. But I think that's the fun of it. And I think we're going to be competitive. Um, the mindset. I just talked to Fred the other day, and he's like, "Listen, like, I want to win every single game." And so I think that's like, you know, who we are, and that's what we've developed. Do you realize that Vegas uh, has you guys missing the playoffs? I've seen it. I think uh, Vegas has uh, uh, undershot us multiple times in the past, so we don't we don't put too much stock in that. They have you. You guys have been over your win total uh, repeatedly. Not, not last year. Not last. Yeah, but repeat. I think it was nine years in a row before that one. Um, who do you expect to step into the leadership role left by Kyle Lowry or the void left by Kyle? Lowry? Listen, no, not one person, but I think towards the end of last season in Tampa, we started to have those conversations. Uh, with Fred, OG, and Pascal. I think that's you know the core that's been here. Uh, they've been in the league a, a while. They've played together. They've won together. Um, and so we, you know, we had those conversations with them, which is not only on the court, it's off the court, right? And so uh, there are going to be young players coming onto this team that are going to view them like maybe they viewed Kyle or maybe they viewed uh, you know Serge or Mark. And so I think that's kind of the a little bit of the role reversal. And so listen, we're here to help them. We have a ton of resources to help them uh, develop their voice within the team. Uh, but, you know, I think it'll largely fall on those three. All right, two more. Um, first one, where is Pascal in his rehab? And, and when do you, do you have an idea of when you expect him back? Timelines are tough, as you know, but uh, he's been working out every day in the training center. He's one to know. He's not cleared for contact yet. Um, but when you see him, he looks, you know, he looks, there's no, uh, you know, loss of movement or anything in his shoulder. Um, so I think it's just as it heals, uh, once he gets cleared for contact, I'm sure we'll, we'll send out a release and people will, will know. Okay, so you and I are dancing around whether or not this is a playoff team. What, what do you guys want to see early that would denote to you that you're on the right path and the right trajectory? I think for one, the, the growth from, from, 
from the young guys. So they're stepping into roles, right? So they're not exactly the same as last year. Um, I think obviously, listen, wins and losses matter. So like, you know, you have to win some games early. Um, and I think just a level of competitiveness. And so I think a, a hallmark of our teams has always been, listen, we're going to fight to the end. We're never going to give up. Um, and so we want to keep that. A lot of that was, was from Kyle, but I think a lot of our other players have that. So, you know, I think we'll see over the f course of the first month or two, like how competitive we're going to be. I know that media day can feel kind of like a human car wash, but we appreciate you going through this part of the car wash with us. Early in the car wash, I'm good. <laughs> cool. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Bobby Webster of the Toronto Raptors. Did, cool. did, did anything jump out at you when talking about uh, the team this year? Uh, what stuck out to me is that he, he knew almost immediately what the Vegas win totals were <laughs> the team, and that they had surpassed them. So it's almost like they put that up on the, the board every year. last year, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he knew uh, it right I away. do think that that is um, a bit of an idea of how you are performing versus what people expect of you. For sure. And I think that a lot of teams will look at those sort of things, though they won't necessarily advertise it all the time. The other thing that jumped out to me was, are you surprised that the NHL did not ask for a national interest exemption? I want to get that right. An NIE, but the NBA did. I know Major League Baseball and the MLS currently have one, but we weren't as far along when it comes to vaccines mm -hmm. as we are now when those two franchises or those two leagues asked for the natural or the, uh, for the national interest exemption, which allows the unvaccinated to come across the border without quarantining so long as they adhere to protocols. I'm not surprised because uh, the NBA is hovering, I think, close to 90% vaccination level. The NHL is closer to 100 at around 98%, I believe. And if there's only 90% vaccinated, that's going to include a lot more players when it comes to the NBA that wouldn't be allowed to play here if that exemption wasn't passed, right? And you're, you're now seeing uh, star players, big names. Kyrie Irving, obviously, is a, is a big name who, you know, people want, he wants to respect his privacy, but he has not been vaccinated yeah, up to And this Andrew point. Wiggins just, he doubled down today. He said he's not going to do it. it exactly, he's exactly. Doing it for so, a reason, yeah. Uh, and Bobby Webster actually said uh, something in that interview. He said, you know, all your favorite road players, are, you're still going to get to see them. And I think that's really important because you apply for that so that you can see a lot of these players, even though they're not vaccinated, they're I mean, superstars. We, you want to see them, right? The fans want to see them. And that's why they thought the Raptors thought it was in their best interest from a fan perspective. To but do so. we don't know this, but Kyrie and Andrew Wiggins might not be able to play at home, but they'll be able to play in Canada. Yes. It seems like Kyrie seems like he'd be willing to sit out home games because just based on what's happening in New York right now, it doesn't seem like he's going to be able to play home games unless but does he gets that not, vaccinated. But, like, just stop for a second. Does that not seem weird to you that a couple of players, a couple of big-name players will be able to play in Canada and they won't be able to play at home if it goes according to the way it's going right now? Like, that to me, I understand what the NHL was doing. The NHL was exerting pressure on their players mm -hmm. to say we need more players vaccinated so that we can have a regular year. And I think what the NBA did here was they looked at their league, knew they had 90%, knew the players that weren't vaccinated yeah. and that some of them were a part of the players' union executive mm. 
and that maybe the players union has a little bit more power in the NBA than the players union in the NHL because I, I listen I don't know where they would have been had the NHL said okay we're going to get this national interest exemption and you can cross the border freely but I guarantee a bunch of players on Canadian teams said what I can't do what and where yeah all right let's go yeah, I mean, when you, when you get in a situation where in the NBA you're dealing with players in positions of power, it is a big difference between that, that not only, not only uh, when it comes to the Players Association, but star power, like I was saying, that's a bigger deal than having what in the NHL, you look at the, the 2% that might not be vaccinated. We haven't heard of any, I don't know, quote-unquote star players. You got Zach Rinaldo, you got Josh Archibald. That's right. all we're hearing about right now. Right. I think it would be a different story or there would be a bigger issue here for the league itself if you were looking at, I don't know, Nathan McKinnon, for example. Not to throw names around, but you see what I'm saying. Star players in the NHL, that's the problem you're having right now in the NBA. Yeah, you just want, you wonder what the answer will be because if this continues in California and New York, like this is a major blow to the league and it would be surprising to me given the history um, and the road that we've walked in this country if New York and California didn't allow those players to play and yet Canada allowed them to come into the country and play in this country in front of fans that will have to be vaccinated. Uh, John writes proof in, of double vax. Yeah, John is writing and he said the exemption to allow unvaccinated NBA players into Canada isn't so that fans can see their favorite road players so that the Raptors can play in Toronto. Otherwise, they would be forced to play in the U.S. Very again. Very good point. Yeah, very good point. Or if that's going to happen in California, in New York, why can't that happen in Toronto? Yes. And why can't players just not show up in those games in Toronto? Because that's what's happening in the NHL. Tyler Bertuzzi is saying that he's not going to play in games in Canada and forego $400,000 in salary to do so. It's crazy. These are the things in 2021 you <laughs> we never have to thought. discuss. Like, why did you ever what, think you would be discussing this? Here's, ever, here's how this came up in my, it came into my, my vision. Mm -hmm. I, I had a friend say, are the Raptors going to have the best home court in the NBA after having the worst home court in the NBA? And I thought, what are you talking about? Was if they can't travel across the border like the NHL, right. then you're going to have Kyrie out. You're going to have Andrew Wiggins out. You're going to have whoever else out. Who knows? Like, we don't know the names of all the players that and are unvaccinated. Bradley Beal yeah. said something today that makes yeah. me think that he's unvaccinated. And it would be a huge difference, especially if the Toronto Raptors are fully vaccinated, as Bobby Webster just told us, mm -hmm. versus... And it's just, it's shocking to me that, you know, that New York and California, if they stick to their guns on this, and that's not completely guaranteed, but it seems like it is, but if they stick to their guns, they're going to go further than Canada went. Yeah. I mean, given everything we've seen over the course of the pandemic, that, I mean, that's surprising, but it's... And I don't, think, I don't think the NBA would force the Raptors to go back on the road if they were one that said unvaccinated are no longer welcoming Toronto. Yes, I agree with that. It's crazy. The world that we live That's in. By the way, um, if you want to look up the stats, I think that why we're talking about that is because the stats and the math suggest that vaccines are good. Uh, we'll continue our Raptors conversation after the break. Danielle Michaud caught up with Raptors rookie Scotty Barnes. We'll show you that conversation next. That's right. Raptors Media Day continues right here on Tim and Fast.
Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Tim McAuliffe, Jesse Rubinoff, and now our friend Danielle Michaud. She was also, I mean, listen, there's a cavalcade of folks down at Media Day in Toronto. Danielle Michaud was one of them at Raptors Media Day. She caught up with a bunch of players, including the fourth overall pick, Scotty Barnes, who is quickly becoming a hardcore's fan favorite. Let's listen into their conversation from earlier today. All right, Scotty, welcome to Toronto officially. Super excited to meet you. Nice. And how does it feel to already be a Toronto Raptors legend? Uh, because I think you've achieved that just in stature alone. Uh, feels, <laughs> it feels pretty good, I yeah. would say. Uh, people are just showing mad love, mad oh, yeah. support. Uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, I haven't even stepped on the court yet, and a lot of people love me already. So I would just say that's that's... That's, it feels great. That's what I'm saying. Like, you've got a whole crew behind you. Whole excited behind The me. whole country to see what you can do. Uh, how, have the, how have these initial, this like your initial visit to the city? We've seen you post a lot of stuff online, which I've loved. Mm -hmm. what, have your, what have you noticed or what have you liked about the city? Uh, I would just say that's just for the fans. They just want to see so much content <laughs> yeah. every single day. So <laughs> I, I just get them sneak peeks every single day uh, just to satisfy them. Give the people uh, what they want. Yeah. So I like that. Let me give it to them. Uh, but yeah. What are your, maybe some impressions of Toronto so far? Uh, I would just say it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a gorgeous city. Uh, it's very clean. Uh, like, like I said, this is very beautiful. I have to tell you, Scotty, we were sitting here listening to everyone at the podium today and only good things said. Mm -hmm. Like Goran Dragic is a 14-year vet and he was so impressed with, my boy. Right, with what you bring it's to the boy. table. How does it feel to know that people really like you've put such an impact on them, both on the court and off? Uh, really, I just... Really, I just show who I am no matter where it's at. Uh, I'm, you can just see who I am by just looking at me. Uh, so really, man, I just first start talking to people. I just really show who I am, uh, bring out my personality. Uh, I'm always happy, so. Have you thought yet about what it's going to be like to be in this arena on opening night? Can't even imagine. I'm sure them fans, they can't wait to watch our crowd. I can't wait to watch us play. I can't wait to see how the crowd's going to be. What do you hope that you can bring to this team? What do you want your identity to be amongst this, this group? Uh, I'm just really hoping to bring, I'm just trying to come in and bring winning culture, bring energy, uh, try to be impacting the game as well as I can. Uh, no matter if it's energy, intensity, defense, offense, I'm just trying to bring no matter where it is. One thing that uh, they talked about a lot on the podium today, Fred especially, is how this team really wants you to be yourself. Mm -hmm. Is that one thing that really drew you to this organization right away, is that they want you to come out and be Scotty Barnes? Oh, uh, yeah. When I just first started talking to them, having conversations in my pre-draft, uh, it was just really just me being who I am, bringing that to the team, uh, and just bringing, no matter if it's defense, offense, my personality, just be who I am. That's what they love most. All right, and what's been the highlight so far, Scotty? Like you've been doing some cool stuff. You threw a first pitch, you went to TIFF, you've been at Drake's basketball court. What's been the highlight? The first pitch was a very good experience. Uh, I was kind of nervous a little bit. You, it was but great. It, it, was it was right was on fun. the money. It was fun. It's something that I never did before. Yeah. Uh, so it was just, I, always, I wanted to do that. I've seen people <laughs> do it, and I wanted to do it too. So that was, that was pretty exciting. Will you go check out a hockey game now too since you're uh, Yeah, you know? I probably would. I want a hockey jersey too. So. Okay, there you go. Who are you going to wear though? That's the big question. Yeah, I, I don't know. See, you can wear. maybe. I don't know. We'll learn. Yeah, we will learn. All right, awesome. Get a sign too. Scotty, thank you so much for chatting. I appreciate it. Thank you. Cool.
There's, you're already chuckling at Scotty Barnes. Well, he's going to be an instant fan favorite. Like, he, he's, he's just played yeah. Summer League. He's played Summer League, that's it. And everybody already loves him. And I know that there's going to be the questions with Jalen Suggs. I get it. But the way his game translates to the NBA level, I think is going to endear him to a lot of NBA fans. For those who don't know, the kid plays a ridiculously high level of defense for someone his age. Mm-hmm. Whether that translates to the NBA immediately will remain to be seen. But what he does do is he has a high IQ. He can pass the ball. Like, he does all of the little things which are the hardest to teach. Yes. And yet, at this age, he does them well coming into the league. Now, again, whether or not that translates, we're showing video right now of, of him guarding Donovan Mitchell and just hounding him. And this <laughs> is one of the things that Raptor fans have seen and are like, wait a second here. That's one of the best players in the league. Yeah. And Scotty Barnes is shutting him down. Now, you've only seen glimpses. And if you only watch glimpses on the internet, you also think that Ben Simmons can shoot. Because every offseason, <laughs> oh, you there. see Ben Simmons shooting yeah. threes. And I was like, oh, he's been practicing his shot. <laughs> this is just a glimpse. But what he showed at Florida State were all these little things that if you put them all together at this level, he is going to be a lunch bucket, bring it to you, and... It also seems like a personality that everyone loves. Like, I mean, even Goran Dragic today. Like, Goran Dragic, who is a veteran of the league, coming from Europe, and he's just like, you know, who's jumped out at you so far? Scotty Barnes. This kid's fun. He's energetic. He can play. He's smart. But he's fun. And it's, it's crazy to see a rookie capture the imagination of players Mm -hmm. the way he does. I think part of the reason the Raptors probably selected Scotty Barnes is because they have a tradition of thinking that they can teach and develop certain things to certain players. And the big question mark for Scotty Barnes coming out of college, obviously, is his shooting. But the Raptors have a track record now of developing players, and it's been one of the better development systems in the entire league. So obviously it remains to be seen, but if they can quote-unquote fix or improve Scotty Barnes' shooting ability, then you're going to have a serious weapon. Uh, I do want to talk about Goran Dragic quickly. Um, He was asked what he's going to bring to the Toronto Raptors, and he said, I want to bring exactly what Steve Nash brought for me in Phoenix. Now, I know the Goran Dragic era got off to a little bit of a rough start. You know, a lot of fans thinking he didn't want to be here, et cetera, et cetera. But is there a way, an avenue for Goran Dragic to... Now get the fans to to love him. Listen, Goran Dragic has been around long enough to understand what he is at this point in his career, and he's still a decent player who can score, but he'll also be a huge chip if the Toronto Raptors aren't in this hunt come trade deadline. He will be one of those guys that every team will be looking to pick up, and he knows that. And coming in, just say the right things, and depending on how this goes, you're probably going to get your way by the end of the season anyway. Yeah. So just come in, say the right things, impart your wisdom, and then probably when it comes time for trade deadline, he would be the first one, if they're not in the hunt, to be the one to be traded. Yeah, it seems like he's also getting along with his teammates. We saw that video of him walking around with a couple of Raptors. And, and then, yeah, and then in that interview with Danielle's, you know, Danielle brought up Goran Dragic. She said twice, that's my, my boy. Guy. That's my boy, yeah. That's so. my guy. And it's rare for rookies and vets to have that kind of relationship. Instant camp. That quickly. All right, uh, another bunch of wild finishes and amazing performances. Week three in the National Football League. We'll chop it up as former NFL MVP Rich Gannon joins us next right here on Tim and Friends.
27 San Francisco with 37 seconds for that man without a timeout. Rodgers fires over the middle. Caught Adams. Crosby to try to win it. And the kick is good to win the game. How could he not be romantic about football? Man? Pass to the end zone, and it's a touchdown. I think it's awesome, but you just gave Patrick Mahomes now 32 seconds. Mahomes buying time for things to open up. Now heaves it. Ball falls incomplete. No one thought Kansas City would start this year one and two. No. Tucker, it would be the longest in NFL history if it's good. A 66-yard try. Tucker's kick is on the way. It is good. It's crossbar, and it tumbles through. It is good. Justin Tucker with the longest field goal in NFL history. The hay is in the barn, and it's mayhem on the field. Oh, man, two things there. The soccer run from Tucker, and I want to give Detroit Lions fans in this country, and I know there's a ton of them, a big <laughs> hug because, man, like he's gotten there twice and kicked two over 60-yard field goals to beat him on the last play of the game. It's unbelievable what the Lions are going through, but we won't start there. We're going to start in other places with our friend Rich Gannon, who joins me for a little Monday afternoon quarterback. Rich, thanks a lot for doing this. Appreciate you as always. Tim, looking forward to it. Always enjoy our time together. Uh, so the question I was asked in the opening segment of the show was which L.A. team made the bigger statement? In your mind, was it the Rams or the Chargers? Well, I like what Justin Herbert did. He certainly outplayed Patrick Mahomes. You look at how effective he was. Four touchdowns, no interceptions. He cleaned up the mistakes from a week ago against the Cowboys. But I really look at you know, it's not just what they did offensively. It's what they did defensively. They really got after the Chiefs. They, they, they were able to take the ball away four different times. You look at how the Chiefs started the game offensively. They had an interception and then two fumbles. That was their first three drives of the game. So you got to give a credit to the coaching staff and certainly to the defense. But I really like what I'm seeing from last year's Offensive Rookie of the Year, Justin Herbert. He was terrific on the road at Arrowhead. Yeah, without a doubt, and we'll have to shout out our, our Canadian kid, the kid from Scarborough, Tavon Campbell, a little later on in the show because he was one that forced two of those fumbles. The, the, the interesting thing about this Herbert Staley thing for me was in week one, I don't know if you noticed this, but their final drive in week one, they were up four, and they threw the ball eight times on their final drive, which led to victory formation. And, I, like, I put it in the back of the memory. I'm like, leave that there. Like, is that something that they have the guts to do? Is that the trust between Staley and his quarterback? And to me, it seemed like, like, I don't even know that Tom Brady gets that respect. And Herbert got it in week one of his second year as a former quarterback who, who played at that level. What can that kind of trust do for you? Well, I think it's important. You know, I think that it speaks volumes about how they feel about their young quarterback in, in year two. But what I would say is they're in danger of making a huge mistake. You've got a rookie head coach. It did not handle the end-of-game situation well. I mean, you allowed Patrick Mahomes to step back on the field. You know, they, they should have they should have ran the ball on second down. They decided to throw the ball. They get a touchdown here to Mike Williams. But the problem is, you know, you missed the extra point. And then you give Patrick Mahomes an opportunity to step back on the field. There was really no need for that. You could have – their, their final two minutes of that game, they were very fortunate. They did not handle that goal line situation the correct way. And that really gets back to coaching. I heard from a source that it was, it was a called run. And in the huddle, 
uh, Herbert turned to Mike Williams and said, be ready for me to throw you the fade. Now, if that's what happened, then I'm going to let the coaches off the hook. But, man, that could have been a train wreck for the Chargers on the road at the Chiefs. Yeah, apparently apparently was the audible. So, as we look at, I mean, both West standings, but as we look at the Rams and what they've been able to do with Matt Stafford and quarterback, uh, that's a statement from them as well. Well, I'm going to give you my early pick, Tim, for – NFL comeback player of the year. And I'm going to say Matthew Stafford. You say, what's he coming back from? I'm going to say he's coming back from years of torture in Detroit. (laughs) I mean, he has found a new home in Los Angeles, and it's a marriage made in heaven. He's played really well. Of course, he lit it up again yesterday, 343 yards and four touchdowns, nine touchdowns in his first three starts. It's the best supporting cast he's ever had. It's the best offensive line, best group of receivers, and clearly the best play caller. Sean McVay, the head coach and play caller on offense, I think he and Matthew Stafford see the game the same way. I just think Stafford's out there. He's having it, having fun. He's cutting it loose. He's got, he doesn't have a worry in the world. And I think that's where you get the best performance out of a quarterback like Matthew Stafford. And quite frankly, you have to look back at all those years in Detroit. You just feel like they're wasted years because he was such a productive guy, but he played on some horrible, horrible teams. Yeah, that's that's why I wanted to give the Detroit fans a little hug here before we started. Uh, <laughs> all right, so who are you more worried about in those two divisions, one and two Seahawks or one and two Chiefs? Definitely the one and two Seahawks. Let, let's look at what happened yesterday. They played so well in the first half and they just couldn't do anything in the second half. But here's the issue I have right now. I have no worries at all about Russell Wilson, no worries about the offense. They're capable of going out and scoring and making big plays. Right now, their defense is hard to watch. I mean, they've given up a lot of big points and a lot of yards. You look at what they've done through the first uh, three games of the season, they're allowing 440 yards a game. That's the worst. They're 30th in the run defense, and they're 26 against the pass. They had no answers yesterday for Kirk Cousins. He was terrific once again. But defensively, they have some real concerns. The Legion of Boom is now the Legion of Doom. All right, let's get to these uh, these rookie quarterbacks that went 0-4. Um, I, I feel like I can separate Justin Fields because I don't know how many favors Matt Nagy did for Justin Fields. I felt like the play calling, and maybe it's just me, I felt like the play calling wasn't t- – it looked like Andy Dalton was at quarterback the way they called that game. Uh, do you feel the same way? Do you feel like Justin Fields was put in the position to succeed there? No, he really wasn't. Look, I think first it started with the fact he was sacked nine times. Tim, sure. if it weren't for his athleticism, it could have easily been 15. I mean, the offensive tackles were, were, were horrible. Fetty on the right side, Peters on the left side. The whole, whole offensive line, horrible. And quite frankly, the play calling from Matt Nagy and Bill Lazor, the offensive coordinator, atrocious. You didn't give the young quarterback a chance to do what he does well. Get him out on the edge. Give him a two-way go. Give him some RPOs where he can actually pull it and run. It was such a conservative plan offensively. And here's the thing. They were down 13-6 to heading into the fourth quarter, and they couldn't make an inch on offense. Their defense kept them in the game. Yeah. And what's going to happen is you're going to lose that football team. He's already talked about, you know, hey, this week uh, all three quarterbacks are options for us, not just Fields but also Andy Dalton. And, and now they're talking about, Nick Foles, I mean, he, he's really he's, – he's done such a poor job handling the quarterback situation. And as you said yesterday, he didn't give the young signal caller a chance to make any plays. So, so the rookie quarterbacks, we're showing the numbers here, and I've said this for a long time on this show. You did it in the National Football League. You carried a clipboard for a while. I feel like even the best and highly – like Patrick Mahomes – 
He's the best quarterback in the league right now. Carry the clipboard. Tom Brady, goat. Carry the clipboard. Joe Montana, carry the clipboard. Why do we feel the need always, whenever you draft a quarterback high, to get him in as quick as possible? Well, I think that's why Matt Nagy was really holding off and trying to play Andy Dalton, despite all the pressure from fans and even maybe the front office. I I think he knew that Justin Fields simply is not ready to play. But I think you look at the 35 quarterbacks that qualify just in terms of passer rating after the first three weeks, the rookie quarterbacks ranked 28th, 29th, 33rd, 34th, and 35th. And these guys just aren't ready to play. I mean, Trevor Lawrence has thrown seven picks. Zach Wilson, seven picks. Mac Jones threw three picks and a loss yesterday. Uh, you look at Justin Fields, 68 yards and a loss yesterday. I mean, these guys just aren't ready to play, and it's hard to watch them. And what you hope, Tim, is that they don't develop bad habits. You hope that they don't lose confidence sitting in there in the pocket and trusting the protection. The Jets are bad right now. Jacksonville, they're bad. Uh, at least Mac Jones has a good defense around him and a coaching staff that, that can put him in a position to have a chance to win. But some of these situations aren't very good, and there's a reason why these teams are picking in the top ten in the draft. Yeah. Jacksonville, they haven't, you know, they won a game in eight, they have 18 straight games they haven't won. I mean, they're, they're zeroing in on those 76 and 77 Buccaneers. I think that number's a 26. Can you imagine Urban Meyer? By the end of the season, Tim Hill lost all of his hair. He must be going crazy right now. <laughs> down there in Jacksonville. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, I don't want to stick on the negativity. There's a lot of teams that have surprised a few people with uh, with 3-0 and starts. Your former Raiders, uh, the Denver Broncos in the same division, uh, Kyler Murray and the Cards have looked pretty good. Uh, of those teams that have surprised folks to get to Carolina Panthers, Sam Darnold, like, uh, which one is most intriguing to you? And by intriguing, I mean maybe there's some sustainability here. Well, let's talk about Denver. You know, they're they're 3-0, but they beat the Giants, Jaguars, and Jets who have combined for an 0-9 start. So I think they're the fourth best team in that division. I think that's how crazy things are with Denver. But at least they're getting better play out of the quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater. But I look at the Raiders. Tim, this is a team that's 3-0. They won two overtime games. And for the first time in NFL history, this is a team that starts 3-0 despite having played three teams that won 10 or more games a season ago. I mean, they're playing some good teams. They beat the Ravens. They go on the road and beat Pittsburgh. And then they beat Miami, who was a a 10-win team last year. So I like what I'm seeing from this football team, their ability to finish games late, which was a huge problem last year, and especially in the second half of the season. How about Derek Carr? He's already thrown for over 1,200 yards. He leads the NFL in passing right now. He's played really well. Uh, I just think this is a different Raiders team than we've seen in the past. Okay, one more before I let you go, and I just want to zero in on Kyler Murray for a little second because I took the Arizona Cardinals. I knew there was a lot of pressure on Kingsbury to get it done this year, but I took them to win over eight and a half games, even though I thought that was the best division in football, and it was because I could see flashes of this offense becoming elite, and if the defense got anywhere close, they might win some football games. I'm still a little nervous about the defense, but, man, does that offense seem like they can make plays when they need them? Tim, you're right. But, unfortunately, as you said earlier, I mean, this is the <laughs> toughest division in all of football. I mean, you look at the Rams and how well they're playing. You look at the 49ers. Don't they, crush my dreams the, here. Don't crush my dreams. Of course, Seattle, I think we'll get it figured out with Russell Wilson. They can get the defense figured out. But, 
Look, I really like what I've seen from Kyler Murray the first three games of the season. He's a dynamic player, very unusual. He's just five foot ten, but he throws the ball. There's not an area of the field that's a weakness for him. He's got so many targets at wide receiver. The different receiver that steps up each week. AJ Green had a big performance again yesterday. I just I like where they're heading. And they've got Chandler Jones. They've got J.J. Watt. They've got better personnel on defense. I think you're in good shape. You know, obviously not a great test yesterday against Jacksonville, but Kyler Murray gives them a chance to win and be competitive each and every week. Hey, over 30 in each game offensively, and two of those came against some what we thought were going to be pretty decent defense in the Titans and the Vikings, but I'm just trying to pad my stats to make myself feel better <laughs> about this bet that I made. Either way, I appreciate your honesty, Mr. Gannon. Thank you very much for doing our little Monday afternoon quarterback with us. You're the best, brother. Talk to you next week. Thank you very much. There is Rich Gannon, who is among the more knowledgeable men in all of football. Time for one last break. We'll get to our Monday tip of the cap, and we may have given you an idea of what it was. And last call with Jesse Rubinoff. Next, right here, Tim and Friends continues on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360. Please stick around. Please. Welcome back, Tim and Friends. I, I might be a bit biased, but the Monday tip of the cap goes to Chargers cornerback and Scarborough native Tavon Campbell. Now, this guy ticks two boxes for me. Not only is he from the borough of Scars, but he also played U-Sports football at the University of Regina. He had two forced fumbles in the Chargers' upset win over the Chiefs. This is what Rich Gannon was talking about. On top of that, Campbell spent most of the game matched up with Tyreek Hill, limiting the all-pro receiver to just 56 yards. For that, Tavon Campbell. Our Monday tip of the cap. That's a pretty good game to have on your resume. <laughs> Without a doubt. Limited Tyreek Hill. Like he was shuffled around the CFL out of Regina and now has found a home with the Chargers where he is like a legit big-time DB in the NFL. Amazing. On a good team, too. Yeah. They're going to do some damage. Okay, uh, week three in the NFL isn't over, but many are already looking ahead to week four, and specifically Tom Brady's return yes. to New England on Sunday night. Not surprisingly, Bill Belichick was asked about it when he met with the media this morning. The question I wanted to ask is, you spoke on WEDI today about Tom Brady looking at his options, and he decided Tampa was a better option. Why weren't the Patriots a better option for him when both Robert Kraft and Brady himself said over and over how much they wanted him to finish his career here? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm not going to go back and rehash all that. We've talked about that. Really, my You've focus right now is on the. Yeah, my us. focus is on the game here. And look, I have so much respect and appreciation for Tom and everything he did here and for me and for our team. And, uh, you know, we're just getting ready to compete against Tampa this week, and we're going to keep our focus on that. But you've never – you talk about rehashing dynamics that you've already gone through. You've never done that. Yeah. Uh, we, we made a statement when Tom left, and that, that covered it. And, and just going back to the Bucs, um, just seeing how well Brady's played the last few years, do, do you wish that you had made the Patriots uh, a, a better option for him to return? Yeah. Again, I think we've already covered that. <laughs> Too good. So the question is, uh, what is Belichick looking forward to less, facing Brady on Sunday 
or getting asked questions about it for the next six days. Yeah, we're gonna hear about this for six days and I apologize if we bring you most of that, but I find that entertaining and I think that in the end when Bill Belichick goes, listen, both of them did wonderful things in New England and it will never be taken away from either one of them. But I guarantee you all those short answers and all those times that he was a douche to the media when they were just trying to ask questions is going to come back to bite him in the ass on the way out like that. Like I think you're going to see now that he has less power because the team isn't as good, there's going to be a lot, especially in Boston, especially in that market, there are going to be a lot of guys who felt like they were treated like garbage who are just going to wait for opportunities like that to turn it around on Bill Belichick. That's kind of besides the point on this one, mm -hmm. but wait for it, because it's going to happen. The other part of this is, I heard talk of people booing Tom Brady in New England. What? That would be the most ridiculous thing that I've ever heard of in my life. You got five rings together. Like, you'd be, especially Boston, in that market that has seen the misery that it has seen before this last, I don't know, 25 years of absolute they win glory. Everything? Like yes. Nothing, just football, they yes. Win everything? Don't act like spoiled brats. Give the man what he deserves, a standing ovation. Uh, I will say, has has anyone been more entertaining saying less over the years than Bill Belichick? As long as you're not at the end of his douchebaggery, right. you can sit and kind of chuckle okay. at it. Yeah, but, if you're there, yeah. Yeah. but if you're standing there trying to get a real question at Bill Belichick, it's like, oh. Yes. Here we go again. And we only see the good stuff. Like, we don't see, like, and some of it's demeaning, whatever. That happens in real life, and I think we're all pretty grown-ass adults, yeah. and you can deal with it, but. Okay, uh, this next story just won't go away. We go back to the NBA, and Ben Simmons' absence is the big story at 76ers training camp. Simmons has requested a trade and said he won't report to camp. But today at Media Day, General Manager Daryl Morey was asked if there was any hope of Simmons playing for the Sixers again, and he referenced Aaron Rodgers' situation with the Packers. I think there's, I think there's a lot of hope. Uh, I would say I watched last night a player lead their team to victory where a thousand pounds of digital ink were spilled on how much he would never play for that team again. So, look, every situation is different. Uh, but we have a lot of optimism that uh, we can make it work here. Well, I should add that Ben Simmons shut down a potential trip from his teammates. They were going to go visit him in L.A. and try and recruit him to come back. So he's not at 76ers camp. So does Daryl Morey... Told him not to come. Yeah, he said no, none yeah. of that. Uh, does Daryl Morey really believe what he said, or is it just a negotiating ploy for him? It depends what he's being offered for Ben Simmons right now. Right. I, I think that's a negotiating ploy, and I think it's the same thing that we saw all summer long. But if you're not getting anything for Ben Simmons, and Ben Simmons is owed all of that money, like a bleep load of money, then there has, there's going to be a reckoning for both of them where you want, and listen, you could skip all of this money if you're Ben Simmons and still have a ton in the bank account. But those are, those are trips, those are houses, like every million that you waste, like those are real things that you're not going to be able to earn when your career is over. So even if you make $150 million, that's still a really nice trip. That's still a really nice condo in Cancun. If you, Every one of those million that he gives back, think of what you could do with it. 
philanthropy. You could give it to people. Like, whenever someone says, ah, he's got enough in the bank, I go, that's a crock of bleep. Those are still things that you can quantify with absolute things that you could do. I got a feeling that about a month into the season, this will come to a head and either the Sixers will take pennies on the dollar or he'll be back with the team. Yeah, it seems like it's a bad situation for both of them. Like, Ben Simmons is not going to be, play ba be playing basketball. That's what his job is and what he likes to do. And the Sixers have no leverage, so it's going to be interesting to follow this one. We're going to be talking about it for a while, I feel like. Uh, cool moment from the this afternoon in the major leagues. Cleveland's Bradley Zimmer going deep off his brother, Royals pitcher Kyle Zimmer. It's the fourth time in baseball's modern era that a brother has homered off his brother. Tim, you grew up in a family of four boys. What was your greatest sporting triumph over one of your brothers? Nothing. <laughs> Zero. I never got over. I was four years younger than my closest brother. As I've said numerous times, the only thing I learned to do from my brothers, well, I actually, I was a terrible athlete and still captained all my high school football team I, because I actually learned how to play from them. But the only thing I actually got from them was how to take a punch. That's so Like, good. I didn't beat them in anything, anytime. The, the, the crowning moment of my athletic career was when I appeared on City TV News because I felt like I actually belonged with the other three brothers in their level of athleticism. It was like, I finally got, I got eight points in a high school hockey game and they put me on City TV News and I was like, finally, I finally lived up to the McAuliffe name. That's so, I mean. It's the closest I can. That's so good. And now you're, you're worried about separating your shoulder by patting yourself on the back. Like, your athleticism's come a long way. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's tough. Uh, okay, speaking of brothers, the Cowboys host the Eagles tonight on Monday Night Football, and ESPN is doing another Manning cast. Tonight's guests include LeBron James, Matthew Stafford, oh my God. Nick Saban, and Chris Long. Is this SNL? Like, holy crap. They're doing it to poor Steve Levy again. Which broadcast will you be watching more of tonight? Manning cast. Without a doubt. Really? And good luck to every network that's going to try and do one of these and follow the Manning cast. Yeah, without a doubt. Like, there's three guys that I want to really listen to have conversations. Yeah, I mean, it seems like there's enough famous people in the sports world that they, they, they can continue to roll out these big-name guests for a while. Like, this is going to go for seasons. So it's going to be intriguing to watch But they're for a long fun, time too, to right? So if you're an athlete, you want to talk to them as much as they want to talk to you. Yeah, I mean, Peyton has been dominating. You've been watching a little bit of it. Yeah. Peyton, like, Peyton knows what he's doing. Like, the guy can carry the conversation, and Eli's kind of like the wisecracker over to the side. But, they, I mean, the chemistry, they're brothers, so it's it's been fun to watch. For my, sure. uh, my son looked at me. I was watching when Gronk was on, and he yeah. turns to me and goes, does Eli say anything? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, my 11-year-old, he's just smiling there. So Eli. good. Uh, all right, kids, this is a week. We're done for today, but we will be back tomorrow, 5 p.m. Eastern, Jays Roundtable. Tons of pregame coverage, Yankees and Jays. The wild week just getting started. We'll talk to you tomorrow.